evening, everybody. I'm sorry, I'm a little delayed in my start, getting my technology set up here. And I'm doing a special edition of Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the HCMA. And this is a different conversation. This is just going to be me here tonight. And we are going to talk about something that has personally happened to me, but is a matter of national importance. And it impacts anybody who takes a prescription medication and understanding the pathway to how some of these medications get to you and some of the staggering problems we are currently having getting quality medications delivered properly to patients and specifically some issues related to vertical integration fancy words for health insurance companies are buying pharmacies and developing their own PBM plan benefit administrators. And this system is fatally flawed. It gives consumers no ability to make choices for themselves as to where they get their prescription medications. It limits access to these medications and it is dangerous. I have been an outspoken advocate for patients in the cardiovascular space and the transplant space since 1996. As many of you know, I received a heart transplant in 2017. What I'm going to be talking about today are medications specifically for heart transplant patients, particularly a drug called tacrolimus. And the battles that I endure every day or every month or every quarter, depending upon what's happening, um, to get my medication and to get the right medication and to get a safe medication. We're going to talk a little bit about public policy issues and federal laws and changes and investigations. And it's going to be a very different conversation tonight. I'm doing this on Facebook and it will be put on our YouTube channel as well because there are slides. And while it is a podcast, I encourage those who are listening to this as a podcast to go onto YouTube or Facebook and look at the slides that go along with this to better understand the problem. What happened yesterday, last night when I got home, was I received this box of medication. It doesn't look like a very fancy thing to carry very expensive medication in. And we're going to be talking about how this package was received, the battle it took me to get it, and the battle it took me to correct the problem. Let's start with a little PowerPoint presentation and a little understanding of what is currently system in which medication gets to a patient. I am not going to give a full dissertation on the entire pharmacy system. I'm going to be focusing tonight on a topic related to specialty pharmacies. So when you get a heart transplant or you're on a very expensive medication, what happens is you go from being able to go down to the local brick and mortar pharmacy to pick up your pills at your convenience to having to not just do mail order, 
So you have brick and mortar, you have mail order pharmacy, and then you have specialty pharmacy, which predominantly are mail order. There are some options for pickup, but they're not very convenient because it's specialty meds. So there's a lot of different reasons um, why drugs are considered specialty meds, most of which is price points. They're expensive drugs, but they're important drugs. And let me say early on in this conversation, I am very appreciative of the science research and innovation that went on to create these drugs. I understand that they're expensive to manufacture and to develop, and we understand that they're, they're expensive. However, there's a lot of money being spent here that isn't on the medication. It isn't going to the manufacturer. It isn't going to a hospital. It is going into the pockets of middlemen who are creating systems that are incredibly complex for patients to navigate and work through. So I'm going to show you some slides here and we're going to talk through some things. And then I'm, I will show you what's in the box in a second because it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Okay. So you should be seeing, I just want to make sure my screen is okay. So drug manufacturers sell their drugs to frontline full service wholesalers over here. So you're not going to get the manufacturer selling directly to the patient. There's all these steps in between. Okay. So the manufacturer sells to a full line wholesaler, and then they sell it down to other distribution models, a retail pharmacy or a specialty pharmacy or to a hospital and very, very rarely to physician offices and clinics. Then you have specialty distributors over here. We're not really going to talk too much about them. I borrowed this slide from somebody else. They're going to sell to these places when they are drugs that are administered by a healthcare provider, such as, you know, IV therapies and, and medications that can only be given in a hospital. So this is what we're talking about over here is this pathway that the manufacturer sells to here, goes to here, goes to here. So that sounds pretty straightforward until we get into the next line here. Who are plan benefit administrators? And how are we getting drugs to patients? The map and the schematic, it's a little bit more confusing, as you can see on the screen here. So the manufacturers up here, and there are service agreements and formulary agreements. Does a drug get on formulary? Is it a, a preferred drug or not? That's step one. So if you're following the red arrow, that is the contractual obligation between the manufacturer and all of the different sources to distribute the medication, the drug wholesaler or the uh, pharmacy benefit manager, the PBMs. And then you'll see the green arrows follow the money. So the manufacturers are giving the pharmacies a contract that pharmacy contract, there's money going back from the pharmacy to the drug wholesaler. See that arrow is pointing upwards and then it goes potentially back to the manufacturer. Then you have the arrow going from the manufacturer to the PBM, the PBM to the prescription reimbursement 
but what's over here? <laughs> Third-party payers. So now we have the pharmacy benefit managers paying third-party payers, and then there's money coming back for payer reimbursement to the PBM. But how many directions does the, the financial line go from the patient? It goes from the patient to the pharmacy, and then whatever rebates occur, do so not going back to the patient, going back to the third party, to the benefit, plan benefit manager. That's where the money's going. This doesn't serve patients over here. This is just money in, money out, and we're paying for it. And the sicker you are and the more medications you're, you're taking, the more you're paying into the system. So, okay. This is the system that we've created. Our federal government has said this is perfectly fine. I will talk a moment in a moment about investigations that are no, now going on in Congress and with the FTC over these practices. And I'm doing this tonight to bring attention to the fact that the system is woefully broken. And I'm going to show you firsthand in just a few minutes of how I believe it is a deadly system on top of that. I know I'm being a little bit more hyperbolic than I typically would be in my Tales from the Heart podcast and in my communications, but I have been damaged by this personally. So yes, I'm here in my professional capacity, but I'm primarily a patient this evening. So I will give that disclosure. Okay, so we have this problem. Now there's a whole new problem. This third-party payer and this path over here the landscape is changing because health insurance companies are buying PBMs and all the money is staying in the silo of these large corporations who are restricting where you get your prescriptions filled or who fills your prescription. The next slide I'm going to show you is one of these uh-oh moments. It's an uh-oh moment. Okay. So vertical business relationships among insurers, PBMs, and specialty pharmacies and providers. Last year, this is the schematic of what has happened to healthcare. On December 1st, and I did not make this slide, I borrowed it from the Drug Channels Institute. I didn't create it. But on December 1st of last year, my personal health insurance changed to Aetna. My husband switched jobs. We got new insurance. I had to move all my prescriptions. I've done this before. But remember, we've set up our healthcare access systems in this country so that our employers choose what options we have to buy insurance for the most part. What other decision do you make for your personal life where you let your employer choose your provider? Do you do it with your auto insurance? Do you do it with your mortgage? Why have we allowed our employers to be the main access point to healthcare in this country? Prior to my work at the HCMA, I was a health plan administrator for 18 years in, in a human resource department. And I left the insurance market and we created a third-party payer system and created our own system because I, I couldn't believe the money wasted. <laughs> so I have some experience here. I know plan design and, and I know the contractual flow, but what's happening in America today, wake up people, <laughs> your health systems are changing in ways that are 
frightening. So my new insurance is Aetna. Aetna owns under the same corporate entity, CVS Caremark or CVS Caremarks owns Aetna. I don't know which way you want to put the flow. I think CVS is bigger than Aetna, but I'm not sure what the structure is there. But this is how you have to get your prescriptions. You can have, if I'm Aetna, I have to use CVS Specialty Pharmacy. I had no experience with CVS Specialty until December 1st of this year. And what I'm going to tell you about is the, the nightmare that I went through to get all of the information imparted to them and then the disaster that occurred thereafter. If you're looking at what's happening here, you're, you're squeezing the market together, okay? Your, your drug supplier, your medication supplier, and your health insurance company are financially motivated in a very different way than they've been before because it's all one corporate line. This is dangerous. I'm thinking back to the Ma Bell days where we got to break it up because it's, it's a monopoly. And our choices of healthcare access and how we find a pharmacy and where we get our drugs is being limited and limited and limited. And that's not good. It's too much control for a few companies to have over something as important as life-sustaining medications. This is but a sample. The citations are clearly here on the screen. And this is the system that we now live in. We're just going to go back to a conversation here now. So on December 1st, when my insurance was switching, I contacted my new insurance company and I said, I have some complicated prescriptions. I hunkered down with a cup of coffee thinking this was going to take me a good hour to get through my regular pharmacy medications. So my statins and I have two different statins I take for my transplant. So that goes through the regular mail order pharmacy and I can get a 90 day supply. No problem. I'm manufacturer specific because I care about the quality of my drugs. So I want from drug man, I want my drugs from manufacturers that don't have warning letters issued by the FDA because I know how to research those items, which most people don't. Call me, I'll explain it to you, or I'll put some content up about how to look for who your manufacturers are and to see which manufacturers have problems. Note to some people who may not be aware of this. Our federal government has not been inspecting overseas manufacturers since before at COVID. So they're doing Zoom inspections right now. Inspecting facilities that are making drugs that are going into our bodies. I know it's a challenging time, but is that really the safest thing that we can be doing right now? So I'm really specific on the manufacturers that I trust to provide quality drugs because I take them every single day. So you have a regular pharmacy and I can get mail order there and that's the regular pharmacy. Then I had to get transferred over to specialty pharmacy because my transplant medication, tacrolimus, tacrolimus, some people say, is handled by specialty pharmacy. From a logistics point of view, the specialty pharmacy people don't see the screens of the regular pharmacy people and the healthcare or health plan people at Aetna don't see any of your pharmacy transactions. So they all have to talk to each other and transfer calls. And I ended up spending over four hours on the phone to set up new prescriptions, to make sure my manufacturers were correct and to deal with all of the fun of setting this up. Four hours. 
There were some complications with communication with my doctor about the prescriptions. So that took another second call and an hour on the phone to get that all organized. I thought I had it all done. And now we have another problem in the distribution pathway. And that is delivering the drug appropriately to its destination. I have had some major challenges with lost packages. Summertime, it's very concerning because the drugs can sit on very hot trucks for very long periods of time, yet they have warning labels on them that they shouldn't be over 120 degrees or stored in temperatures over 120 degrees. I can guarantee you that that can't be maintained in the summer and in some parts of the country beyond that because the trucks get so hot. So there's just that general, like, how do you keep the drug to temperature? And then we're getting back to the box that I got in the mail yesterday. So I've tried to keep it as intact as I possibly can. And this is my bottle of tacrolimus, one milligram, bottom of the bottle, top of the bottle, intact. The manufacturer I requested, the quantity that we requested, which is a three-month supply, 180 pills. It's in here. Then there was another bottle of my 0.5 milligram, bottle intact. Okay, but there's only 90 pills in here out of 180. I need, I take one and a half milligrams twice a day, every day. Then I got confused because as I was pulling the box open, paperwork that comes along with it, I saw pills all over the bottom of the box. My transplant pills were all over the bottom of the box. They were integrated with dirt. There were holes in the side of the box where pills could have escaped before I opened it. And I was shocked to see that the pill bottle has no bottom. It shattered out because the bottles were all in a box banging around during transport with no packing material. In my old life, I helped manage a company that sold auto parts. And 101 was pack the box properly so the parts don't fall out. I would think that if somebody's packing life-saving medication, they would use good packing processes as well. They didn't. So I finally spend five hours to get my prescription to arrive and it shows up like this with a hole in the bottom of the bottle. So I spent from 10 o'clock to 11.15 last night on the phone trying to rectify the problem, but nobody really knew how to rectify the problem because they don't know what this is all about. Finally got to somebody who was, you know, they're, they're nice people. No personal disparities here. They're nice people trying to do their jobs but they're only allowed to do a certain piece and they can't see the rest of it. So you got to get somebody else. And I spent another hour and 15 minutes on the phone last night trying to solve this problem. What does this say for the quality of our drug supply chain? It is woefully broken. What do we need to do about it? There are things that are political and there are things that are public policy. This is a public policy imperative. 
we have a problem. I don't care what political party you're with. Our system of healthcare is broken and we all need to work together to fix it. I'm glad to see that there's been some attempts from members of the Senate to, to bring attention to this problem. Senators Grassley and Cantwell are fighting a fight. They want the FTC to investigate unfair drug pricing practices and provide more transparency. And they tried to get a piece of legislation passed last year called the Pharmacy Benefit Manager Transparency Act of 2022. Don't believe they got it to the finish line. I've been trying to figure that out all night. I got to do some more work on this. But Senator Grassley, Senator Cantwell, I would love to come to Washington and explain what I have been dealing with for years, managing specialty pharmacies and the problems that we're encountering. And I'm encouraging everybody to speak up and talk about this. So there were some hearings in October. I watched them live. It was just maddening to see what's happening and that we can't get people to understand that we have a problem. We have a big, 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 big problem. There's another piece of legislation called Prescription Pricing for the People Act. That, I, I, that needs to move forward as well. But what we need to make sure of is beyond the distribution, we need to ensure that the quality of the drugs that we're taking are there as well. So we have a quality problem. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. We have a vertical business relationship problem. There's too much profit motive involved in distributing these medicines, and we need to make sure that we address that. And I do want to take a moment to talk about the drug in this bottle, tacrolimus. Without it, I would probably reject my organ and I would die. So it's really important that I have my drug supply and that I don't let it lapse and I don't run out and I don't get to, you know, only two days left because then I have to go to mail order. You can't go to the pharmacy and get it. Like there's a responsibility of a patient who's on a drug like this to stay up on making sure that their supply chain is working and that they've got good communication with their, their pharmacy, even when that's difficult. My prior company was Acredo. I ended up with a concierge service person there who helped me fill my prescriptions and helped to get everything done. You shouldn't have to do that. Why should I have to spend hours and hours on the phone to fill a prescription? It's ridiculous. But the quality of that drug, the FDA has been aware for many, many years that there are drug quality issues with tacrolimus. Why am I specific on my manufacturer? Because about two years ago, my manufacturer was on shortage. Maybe it was a year ago, and they were on shortage. So they said, we don't have that manufacturer. We're going to send you another one. I said, all right. But I know that there's variability in dosing and batching because the Generic Drug Act requires that the drug be between 80 and 120% of the original brand drug. So you're not getting apples to apples. You might be getting a higher dose drug or a lower dose drug when you're going to generics. And they're perfectly fine with that because getting it to 100% exact is difficult. I get that. But 80 to 120%, that's a very big margin. So I knew to go get my blood tested to make sure that my tacrolimus was in line. And I was absolutely shocked to find out that it wasn't. So for anybody who knows anything about transplant, 
My sweet spot for my tacrolimus number was about seven. When you're early in transplant, they want it higher, but as you're out a little bit longer, you can go down a little bit lower and seven is a good therapeutic window for me. When I got my blood tested, when I had this other brand, my tacrolimus level was in the fours. It was like 4.5. I'd never been that low since my transplant and it scared the hell out of me. I called my PBM back and I, I talked to them and I said, I need a different manufacturer. And they said, well, we've already dispensed that medication and you've already paid for it. So you're going to have to pay another copay. So if you know anything about me, it's the point where I'm like, seriously, you sent me garbage and you want me to pay for it. They waived the extra copay, but I had to fight for that. And it wasn't, you know, $10, it's a hundred dollars a month. At that point, I think maybe it was 120 or something like that. So they did get me the right medication and they got me a different manufacturer. And I, I went back on that and my blood levels boom, back up into the sevens. What about people who don't know all of the things that I know because of the line of my work and my previous work experience? What if people don't know that they should be watching their manufacturers? If you're thinking that the FDA is watching the quality, you're wrong. They don't have the resources. I'm not slamming the FDA here. What I'm saying is we have to provide them with the resources to inspect the drugs if we think that's important. I think it's important. You may disagree, but should we have a public debate about this? Should we have a conversation? I think we should. I think we need to. And I'm bringing the problem to light for those of you who are interested in the, in the conversation. If you have any questions, that's fine. Please post them. But I know yesterday when I posted the pictures of my box with the pills in the bottle, of, bottom of them and the broken bottle and the problems that I've had with CVS on this particular issue, the messages started rolling in of people who had similar problems. This is not just me. Thousands upon thousands of individuals are struggling with communication with their specialty pharmacy, their general mail-in pharmacy, their brick and mortar pharmacy. Here's, here's one of the pieces that made me like laugh out of frustration. When I originally called in on December 1st to start my prescriptions, I said, um, I need specialty pharmacy as well. I have a specialty medication. And they said, well, what's the medication? I said, well, it's a specialty pharmacy medication. And they said, we have 13 specialty pharmacies. <laughs> What's the drug? Because then we'll send you to the right specialty pharmacy. Just stop and think for a moment about the infrastructure it takes to put together an organization as a specialty pharmacy. And those departments, they've broken them into 13 different departments. And I was supposed to give them the name of my med and then they look it up which specialty pharmacy department I needed to go to. So as of right now, I am six hours and 30 minutes into communication to try to refill my prescription drugs and get them to me safely. So the story's not over yet. I did finally speak to a good person at the end of the night last night. It was after 11 p.m. Eastern time. And he said he would follow up because they wanted me to call back in the morning because the department was closed. And I'm like, why? I spent six and a half hours. Could you please just put in a message and have the other department handle it? And they finally did it. And I got a notice this afternoon 
that my specialty pharmacy medication is being reshipped. They're sorry about the problem with the broken bottle and that I should be prepared to send back the items. Well, CVS, I'm going to hold on to them. I, I prefer to hold on to them and I hope you don't charge me for holding on to them because we need to fix this problem together. And I want this bottle because I'm hoping that I can go to the Senate and show them or Congress and show them and explain what an absolute nightmare it is to try to fill specialty drugs through the system that we've allowed to be created in the United States. That said, I think there's another piece of this that I just want to tap into for just a moment. And that is time, access, and availability. We are all very busy people. We are all struggling with a diagnosis if we're going to a specialty pharmacy. If healthcare companies actually want us to improve our health, physical and mental, why are they making it so purposely difficult to access the medications that we need to stay alive? I am alive in spite of the healthcare system and because of the healthcare system we have. I understand that we have a lot of good and there are a lot of amazing scientists, researchers, administrators of healthcare programs and systems. However, it's broken. It's not working nearly as well as it could with some common sense, bipartisan communication to improve access to healthcare in a meaningful way. We can't keep these barriers in place. We have to make it easier for people to get their medication and not spend six hours in a month to try to fill a prescription. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about tonight on Tales from the Heart, an impromptu podcast from the HCMA. It is, it is maddening. It is frustrating. And I am truly hoping that we can open a national dialogue to solve the problem. Complaining doesn't get us very far, but it does shine a light on where the cracks are. And we need to fortify these cracks. You know, do we really know what our medication is doing? Do we really know what's in it? Do we really know that it's arriving safely? No, we don't. We trust. And what, what do we find out? Some drugs we found have carcinogens in them. Some drugs don't have the potency that they claim to have. Some drugs, specifically those with controlled release mechanisms, so the twice a day type drugs, they're not, te they're testing the, the active property at that 80 to 125%. There's another piece that's really important here, and I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, and I'm sorry, but it's important. So the way the drug dissolves in your body is really important. We've had problems with metropolol in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients for a long time now. That some of the formulations are actually, 
the controlled release mechanism isn't working. It just dumps the drug into your body. You take the pill and then within two or three hours, you've metabolized all the meds and then you're, you've got nothing on board for the next few hours. So controlled release mechanisms are critically important. Tim just asked me, what about disapiramide? Kind of important on that. Yeah. So disapiramide is a generic and there is no controlled release mechanism on that. But name brand Norpay-CR, there is. And that's why the drug has been on shortage a number of times because it's a really complicated process to get that controlled release mechanism to work properly. So when you're dealing with a generic and it's not working properly, the dissolution rate, I believe it's called, is too fast. You're not keeping that drug in your system as long as you need to, and you're not getting the maximum benefit from that drug. Other small rant. I went to um, a conference a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C., the clinical trialists meeting, CVCT, and somebody got up and said, you know, we have these trials that say hospitalization readmission rates are lower when you have patients who are compliant based on the trial. But we're not seeing these transfer into real world. And I said, excuse me. The reason you're not seeing it translate into real world is because the trial was done on the name brand drug, not the generic. And there's high variability in the quality of generics. And you're not going to get reproducible results. So when an insurance company tells you, well, it's the same drug, it's the same thing, make them prove it. Is it really the same drug with the same dissolution rate, with the same properties exactly? or between at least that 80 and 120, and where does it sit on the scale? Shouldn't we know that? We're buying this drug, we're putting it in our body, but we don't really know what it's doing. We don't know if it's coming into our body in the right speed. We don't really know if it's 100%, 80%, The generic drug act needs to be updated. Congress needs to act on that. I think we can all agree that we would like safe drugs. We know that generics are inexpensive. Sometimes you get what you pay for. If you're buying cheap drugs, are you getting the same quality as a slightly more expensive drug? And we're not talking big dollars here. You're talking the difference between from bulk purchasing, are they a penny a piece or are they 10 cents a piece or are they nine cents a piece? This is for a lot of the maintenance drugs, not the specialty drugs. That's a little bit different. The price points are different, but common drugs like metropolol, et cetera, they're really, really inexpensive. Do you want inexpensive drugs or do you want cost-effective drugs that actually do what they're supposed to do? I'm going to leave it there for tonight. I'm hoping that this opens some minds as to where the problems are. Um, and how important it is to get this right. We all deserve good quality drugs. And I'm personally looking forward to being part of a national conversation this year on how to ensure that once you've gone through all the work to get to a diagnosis and get to a therapy, that that therapy is actually what you think it is and that it's safe and effective. And on that note, I say good evening, happy new year, happy 2023. May we all have a healthy, happy and prosperous new year and know exactly what's in the drugs that we're taking. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.